just a word for our younger ones. Uh, do you ever, do you ever tease your friends or your sisters or brothers or cousins? Sometimes teasing can be fun, right? Um, especially when it's meant to be a joke and then everybody can laugh because they've enjoyed the joke and it was just fun. But have you ever had that moment when either you're teasing somebody else or they're teasing you and it just goes the other way? It just doesn't feel right and it almost feels like the person is being mean to you or you're being mean to them. So sometimes it's a very thin line between doing something that's fun and doing something that can really hurt somebody's feelings or make them feel sad. And we don't wanna do that, right? Because the whole idea is if we're having fun, everybody should be having fun. And we never wanna make someone feel bad if we can help it, right? So that's a little bit the story of the gospel lesson. There's this wonderful moment when Jesus was talking with Peter about forgiving, and he told this example of how this uh, rich man, I guess it might have been a rich woman too, um, had people that, that worked for them, and one of the people that worked for them owed money. And so after that person who owed money begged and said, please, I can't pay, please forgive what I owe you. And it was forgiven. It should have been a happy, lovely, wonderful time of celebration. It should have been a time for rejoicing and calling everybody together and celebrating together. But instead, that person said, uh, when they saw someone that owed them money, I'm not going to forgive you, even though I was just forgiven. And so two examples of two different ways of dealing with people. The, 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 uh, the story really is a story about forgiving one another. So sometimes, you know, when that teasing gets out of line, when we say something or do something that we go, oh, gosh, maybe I shouldn't have done that or said that. And then we realize we're wrong. One of the things that Jesus is reminding us is maybe we should ask for that, for forgiveness from the person that we've hurt. Or if somebody hurts us and they ask us for forgiveness, that's really what this lesson is about. We should forgive them because, you know, people are going to hurt us a in our lifetime and if we if we start saving up all that anger and resentment and that hurt it's just going to not be good for us not going to be good for them it's not going to be good for the church it's not going to be good for the world so jesus is teaching us not not only to remember to say what we need to say in the right way and to ask for forgiveness when we do something wrong but the real message here is that if somebody hurts us and they ask for our forgiveness, the answer always is yes. And the more we say yes, the more we can forgive people, the more we can understand why they did what they did or have conversations with them or help them understand that they hurt us, 
the better off everybody's going to be. So we are a forgiving people in a forgiving world according to Jesus' plan for all of us, right? So that's the word today for us. Teasing is fun unless it goes too far. And then we've got to learn to forgive. So now a word for the older folks among us. Um, I don't know if it's good to live with limits. Um, we, We all have limits, though. We, we spend a limited time on this earth. We deal with physical and intellectual limitations. I mean, I would love to be smarter than I am, and I would love to be more physically fit than I am, but I have limitations, you know. We face emotional limits as well. Sometimes we can handle things better than others. Sometimes we can't. Parents, I would guess, have a limit to the patience that they might have with their children. Volunteers, certainly, I know this from working with volunteers most of my adult life, they have limits to their availability, the time that they have to spend in church or in doing the things of the church. Sometimes people who are grieving have a limit to the kind of pain that they feel. Sometimes the oppressed have limits to the tolerance for injustice. And we see that playing out almost weekly in our world today. So it's perfectly understandable that Peter would ask Jesus what the limit was on forgiveness, especially as his question came immediately after Jesus' instruction on how to handle a member of the community who sinned against you. So whether Peter's question to Jesus was hypothetical, um, simply for the sake of discussion, or real because someone had sinned against him, Peter wanted to show Jesus really how big-hearted he was. So Peter volunteered the answer to his own question. He said, I think we can forgive up to seven times. The reference here may be a reversal of a story that takes place in the fourth chapter of Genesis, where Lamech says that his ancestor Cain is avenged seven times. If so, then Jesus' response continues the illusion by reversing Lamech's own claim to avenge himself 77 times. In other words, Jesus, I think, is telling Peter and all the disciples to forgive as often as they are offended. There's no limit on forgiveness if the person is truly sorry. That's an important point, right? There is no limit on forgiveness if the person is truly sorry. Of course, we might then ask, what if they're not sorry? What if they continue to sin against us? 
that often happens too. So Jesus, again, drives home the point. Instead of telling a story about how often to forgive, because it's not really a numbers game, Jesus tells a story about the true meaning of forgiveness. And this situation is common. A servant was in debt to his lord or master in a big way. The modern equivalent might be uh, tens of thousands of dollars that we might owe to a credit card company or to a bank, and we can't possibly pay it back. So the master in question has a simple solution. I'm going to sell him and his family and whatever property he has, and then I'll take all that money that will pay the debt, not unlike creditors today who use all kinds of other means to get their money, like foreclosure or liens on property or on other assets that we might own. This desperate situation then called for a desperate response. So the slave pleaded with his master and asked for more time to settle his accounts. I'm good for it, he said. You just have to trust me and wait. The petition must have been persuasive because the master not only released him, but forgave his debt as well. It's as if a credit card company or loan institution suddenly felt pity for a person and just wrote off the whole debt. Imagine that happening. The story should have had a happy ending at this point, emphasizing again how God is merciful and forgiving when a person acknowledges their wrongs and the just obligations they incur as a result. But as the story goes on, because it's not about God's response to our moral debts, but about our response to one another's debts, as that slave left that master's presence, note the symbolic distancing of himself from the forgiveness that he had just received from God or from the Lord, free of debt now and of punishment, he came upon a fellow slave who owed him just a small amount, single digits rather than multiple digits. And instead of following his master's example and celebrating his good fortune by forgiving this minor debt, he abused his fellow slave and demanded payment. The debtor struck the same self-effacing pose as the first slave. He started to beg for more time, said, please trust me, I'm good for it. The response, however, is exactly just the opposite of what the first slave had received. The first slave had the second one thrown in jail where he could not possibly earn any money to repay the debt. It appears from this action that the first slave didn't really want the money so much as the satisfaction of making that second slave suffer. But his wicked indulgence didn't last very long. Other slaves heard what had happened. They reported back to the master who immediately revoked his forgiveness and handed the wicked servant over to torturers. 
This long answer to Peter's very simple and short question about how often should we forgive can be summed up this way, I think. We are to forgive others as often as we have been forgiven by God, which is as often as we sincerely ask for God's forgiveness. We welcome this limitless spirit of forgiveness from God to ourselves. I mean, we really do, don't we? We talk about how forgiven we are because of God's grace. But sometimes we find it difficult to imitate that same spirit in our relationships with others. Perhaps the advice of Paul in the second reading today can help us um, head off the need for such forgiveness. In writing to the Christians in Rome, Paul plays down the differences among us that often lead to harsh words or divisive judgments or hurtful actions. So what, he asked, if someone eats meat and others are vegetarians? What difference does it make if some think Christmas is more important than Easter or singing hymns is a better way to praise God than meditating silently or reading scripture? There is no difference in these matters, Paul says. If anyone is doing them for the glory of God, they are good. In other words, Paul reintroduces priorities that should govern the Christian life. It's not insisting on incidental practices and personal preferences. It's a change of attitude. It's walking in love with one another, avoiding doing the things that offend or injure others, and overlooking the choices and attitudes that sometimes offend us. Obviously, Paul is not referring here to core beliefs and practices that define the Christian life. These are not usually the things that cause us to judge and offend one another. It's usually just the differences in the way we carry out our commitment to Jesus. Needless to say, there are times when one member truly does sin against another. We sometimes violate a trust. We sometimes speak a falsehood. We sometimes disrupt a family. We damage a reputation. Those are things that can happen even in churches. At such times, assuming the offending person expresses sorrow and asks forgiveness, then what does Jesus expect from us? Jesus expects that we'll have the same pity and compassion as God has with us. The same forgiveness, the same grace, the same love, the same going out of God's way to say to us, you are still part of my life. You will always be part of my life. You'll be part of my life forever. I am your God and you are my child. And so that is the model on how we deal with people, even in our own church family or our own families or our own communities that hurt us. We are all servants in some way. And we are beholden in some way to God's mercy and grace. But God gives us this wonderful opportunity to say, 
this is what it's like to live under God's grace and to have forgiveness. And I'm going to show the world how it works. Amen.